So if you have a Bible, um, go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians 4 tonight. We're going to be just in, at, really in verses 6 and 7, um, and then we'll be in a few different parts of the Bible as well. So go ahead and turn to Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. And while you're turning there, or t- open that up on your phone or whatever, uh, just a reminder about kind of where we've been in our praying, a praying life study, because that's actually what we're doing tonight. We're going to uh, finish our praying life series because, gosh, well, like four or five weeks ago, we were in that before spring break, and then spring break happened, and you know, quarantine stuff happened and changed a lot of plans. And so we kind of got away from that for a couple of weeks. But we're going to get back into our study tonight and finish this series. It's relevant for where we're at right now anyway. Um, and then we'll transition uh, after that. And I'll tell you more about summer plans uh, in future days and weeks. But we're going to finish our Praying Life series tonight with one more week on this. So it's going to end up being a three-part series, I guess. If you uh, need a refresher on uh, the series, I'm going to give you kind of a quick, a quick recap in a second, but also on our podcast online, they are there. Um, I haven't been putting these video streams on our podcast because I'm honestly not sure how to do that. I can figure that out. But right now, all our old stuff pre-quarantine is on the website under our podcast, on our website and on iTunes. Um, but to fit, kind of recap us on where we've been the past parts of our series and Praying Life, um, just to let you know, we did two weeks before this, because we did a missional life earlier in the semester, right? And then we talked about how really living on mission leads us right into the importance and necessity of prayer, which we'll unpack even a little bit more tonight. But in the two weeks before this week in our Praying Life series, we talked about two different things. The first week, we talked about different postures of prayer. If we wanted to have a healthy prayer life, we talked about four different things that were really crucial for us to think about in prayer. And we got some of those from Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer, or Jesus' model prayer. And those four things were, we got to remember God's our Father and we're His children. So that means that we pray to God as a person, not as a system. The second thing we talked about in that week was God is close, not far away. God knows what's going on in our lives, and He he wants us to draw near to Him in any moment of the day. It doesn't have to be just certain special times, but it can be a rhythm we have of drawing near to God all throughout the day. Third thing we talked about in that is that God wants us to experience His joy in His presence through prayer. You know, so we want to view prayer as a way to connect with God, not just ask things from Him. And we'll talk a little bit more about this tonight. But prayer is way more about connecting with God than just asking things from Him. Fourth thing is that God wants to use prayer to realign us with His kingdom so we can ask God things boldly in prayer. And that led us into the second week where we talked about intercessory prayer, which intercessory is a fancy word, but all it really means is you know asking things from God, asking God uh, for things or to do things, both for ourselves and for other people. And the big two things from that talk were that uh, prayer is a chance for us to join God in shaping the course of history. That prayer isn't just this passive thing that God's sovereign. He knows, go, he knows what's going on. So, you know, our prayers don't really matter. That, that's not true at all. That, that prayer, and we see it in the Bible, that prayer moves the hand of God, that God responds to our prayers. And so when we pray to Him, we pray expecting for Him to respond and to act. That was the first big thing. And in light of that, we said that because 
Prayer is a chance for us to join God in shaping the course of history, that we pray persistently, we, we pray boldly, and we pray confidently, knowing in, in all of that that God is our perfect Heavenly Father who only gives good gifts. So when He says no, or when He says later, or when He says maybe, that He still hears us, He cares for us, He's working in the midst of that. So that's kind of the, the big picture recap of where we've been in our prayer series before spring break and before all this stuff changed. And I wanted us to, to kind of come back to this series one more time tonight uh, as we uh, are in a different format, really for one specific reason. It's because I think um, that this season of isolation, of separation, of quarantine, of, of anxiety, of worry, of you know things being so fragmented, um, it, it is an absolutely crucial time for us to strengthen our prayer lives and to view prayer as a, a vital part of our spiritual lives, of our walk with the Lord, um, to be a, a lifeline for us. And so I wanted to spend a little bit more time tonight talking about prayer and talking uh, about other kinds of prayer that we haven't talked about yet and also looking at this passage in Philippians 4 uh, about just the, the power that we have um, in prayer. Because really this time of quarantine and, and anxiety is a time for us to go deeper with the Lord and not feel like we we it's growing weaker in our spiritual walks and we're kind of getting lazy. I definitely feel um, that tension and that temptation. But this time of a lot more maybe quiet of our schedules being disrupted, this is a, an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to go deeper in our spiritual walk and, and really see prayer as the powerful, powerful thing that it is, maybe more than ever before. So that's why I wanted to come back to this uh, this series and do one more week on it before we moved on to some different stuff. But just to be honest with you, uh, one of the reasons I'm, I'm doing this tonight is also just for myself um, that this time of quarantine in our own life, of, of social distancing, has been really hard for, for me as well. Uh, spiritually, it's been really hard on me to kind of be um, in a, in a, you know, just in, at home a lot more and kind of out of my rhythm. And it's really taken a toll on my own spiritual life and my own uh, prayer life. And I've, I've realized over the past, you know, days and week, that I'm not where I want to be with the Lord. I haven't been handling kind of the isolation and the quietness the way that I really want to. I haven't been viewing it and taking full advantage of the opportunity that this is to go deeper with the Lord. And so this is kind of even me preaching to myself and kind of reminding myself of what is good for my heart, good for my soul, and what the Lord wants to do in me. And so I want to kind of share that with you as well. So this is very much for all of us. This is not me kind of saying, hey, you guys do this, do this, do this. This is for me to be reminded of of the, the goodness that is prayer, of the necessity that is prayer. Okay, so that's kind of my intro of, of why we're doing this tonight. So if you guys got a Bible, let's look at Philippians 4, just verses 6 and 7, and I'll give us a few quick thoughts in this, and then I want to give you kind of some tangent thoughts about prayer that kind of are connected to this that I think are helpful for us, okay? So read with me. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, um, and then we'll do a few minutes on this. All right, I'm in the ESV says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, let's, if we're talking about prayer, we probably should pray. So let's pray for a second, and then we'll get into some thoughts on these verses. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the powerful truth that we see in your word tonight, that we don't have to be anxious or worry about anything, but that we can draw near to you in prayer. 
with thanksgiving and supplication, knowing that you care for us, knowing that you promise your peace, which surpasses all understanding. And Lord, we know that you're not always going to give us what we ask for, what we want, but you always promise your peace. And so I pray for for myself and for everyone watching this right now, that in a time of anxiety and worry and just kind of disruption, that we would draw near to you in prayer, clinging to you as our peace, as our hope, as our joy. In a, in a world where things seem to be falling apart sometimes and things don't make sense, we can come to you um, knowing that you're our rock, you're our foundation, you're our anchor, Lord, you're all that we need. So we ask that you would use these verses tonight uh, to comfort our hearts, to encourage us, or to draw us maybe closer to you, draw us back to you in a way that maybe we've drifted from, even over the past few weeks, that you would use your word to warm our hearts, help us see your love and cure, and help us to see the ways you want to work in our lives and make the most of uh, this strange season that we're in. We love you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so a few thoughts on these verses. Uh, the first thing we see here is the, the, I mean, we've probably all heard these verses like a thousand times uh, in life if you've been in the church much. They're really famous. They're probably the most famous verses in Philippians, um, but I think we kind of glance over them too much. Uh, but the first thing that we see here is Paul making this really bold claim saying, don't be anxious about anything. And that's a pretty big claim today, like in our world where we want to be anxious about everything. <laughs> we want to worry about everything. I think worry and anxiety is probably the cardinal sin and struggle of our culture before coronavirus, but especially now. But yet Paul says right here, don't be anxious about anything, which is a pretty incredible statement, um, even considering his situation, that he's writing this from prison, where he doesn't even know if he's getting out. He doesn't know if he's going to be killed. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He had a lot of stuff to be anxious about, to worry about. But yet he's writing the church in Philippi, who also had many reasons to be anxious with persecution, with their own poverty, all these kind of things. They had lots of reasons to be anxious. But yet he tells them, hey, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. But just for a second, let's think about what he maybe means when he says anxiety. Because anxiety can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people today. There's the mental health side of it. There's, you know, just the kind of normal anxiety and worry of life kind of side of it. What are we talking about? We're not going to get super deep into that tonight. Um, but I think there's a few helpful thoughts we can have. You know, what is anxiety? Well, John Piper says, Anxiety seems to be an intense desire for something accompanied by a fear of the consequences of not receiving it. So anxiety has this connection to fear that we see of maybe not getting something. We can be anxious maybe even you know, in life right now that maybe things won't go back to normal, that maybe we've lost something. You know, maybe uh, our plans for our life that we thought we had have been taken away from us, and that makes us anxious knowing that that, that may change. Lots of things we can be anxious about with that. But here's the thing. There actually is a thing called a good anxiety. There's such a thing as good anxiety. Because there, is, there are good things to be anxious about, things that cause us to be concerned about things that are good and important and that lead us to carry out our responsibilities in those areas. Well, let me, let me give you a biblical example of that. Paul, in one of his letters, says that he was, um, he was filled with anxiety for all the churches. And he doesn't like talk negatively about that anxiety he had for all the churches. So he shows in that letter that there is a good kind of anxiety there's a kind of anxiety that is less giving into fear and trying to hold on to our own control in life, 
But really, there's a kind of anxiety where it simply is us to be concerned for the good of other people. It's a kind of anxiety that compels us to live responsible lives. It's not an anxiety that cripples us, but an anxiety that compels us to love and serve other people. It doesn't have to be just like a church thing. It doesn't have to be just a spiritual thing. It can be a general just care and concern for other people. There's, there's a, such a thing as a, a good anxiety. But most anxiety that we have, I would dare say, is probably not that kind of anxiety. You know what I mean? Most anxiety, I would say, I know in my own life, is, is bad. It, it's sinful. Because most anxiety for us are things like self-defeating negative thoughts that we have about certain situations. You know, most anxiety for us is, the, is us worrying about things that are outside of our control and things that we can't change. And here's a hard fact that I learned recently and kind of thought about, is that really when we live in anxiety in this way, when we're constantly you know, churning in our head, these situations that we can't control, that we're worrying about what's going to happen when it's even outside of our hands, really what we're doing is we're living as functional atheists. That we're living, you know, as if God really doesn't exist, that he really doesn't have control over what's happening in life. And however much we want to say with our mouths about God being good and glorious and in control and sovereign, that when we worry and we're anxious in this way, really we're living in practical atheism, functional atheism. So we got to be careful about that. Because sinful anxiety happens when we believe lies. We're not believing truth when we're anxious. We believe lies. We believe, we believe that God's not good. He's not in control. We believe our situation is hopeless. You know, sinful anxiety, all it does really is immobilize us, and it traps us in those things. That sinful anxiety ends up making us more self-absorbed. I know times when I've been giving in to anxiety and struggling with that, it's led me to think way more just about myself and how much I'm struggling and how much, you know, woe is me, you know, with what's going on in, in my life. And it makes you very self-absorbed. It doesn't force you and make you look out to see how you can love and serve other people. It, it turns you inward. That's what sinful anxiety does. You know, sinful anxiety distracts us and keeps us from our mission even as Christians. You know, if we're being so self, self-absorbed with thinking about our own problems and struggles, then we're not going to be able to look out and see even the opportunities that God has given us and the ways that God is working around us that He's inviting us into. Instead, we're going to be trapped in our own worries and concerns. Sinful anxiety, it robs, us of, it robs us of peace, which Paul says here in Philippians 4 is what's going to you know, result from us praying to God. So sinful anxiety takes away peace, but Paul says that prayer can lead to peace. That leads us to the next thing to see here then. What does Paul say is the weapon against this kind of sinful anxiety? He says it's prayer. Now, he's not saying that if you have mental health struggles and anxiety is a struggle for you, that just pray more and you'll be fine. Just have more faith and you'll be okay. It's not what he's saying at all. That's a very nuanced conversation. You know, our brains are made up of chemicals that can be imbalanced. And sometimes we need, you know, chemical help. Sometimes we need professional help and counseling to work through some issues of anxiety. He's not saying that if you struggle with anxiety, you just need to pray more and have more faith. You're being a bad Christian. He's not saying that at all. But he's saying for most of our everyday anxieties, the solution to this is prayer. The solution is prayer. I love the way Martin Luther says it. He says, you know, short and simple, he says, pray and let God worry. You know, pray and let God worry about the situation. Get over it, give it over to God. Let him worry about it instead of yourself. D.A. Carson, a biblical scholar, says this. He says, I have yet to meet a chronic warrior who enjoys an excellent prayer life. That's pretty hard. Have you thought about sometimes when you're struggling with anxiety 
how much you've been praying about it. I would dare say, I know in my own life this is true, that the times that I struggle the most with being anxious and worrying are the times that I'm praying the least. That there's a correlation there. Well, how does prayer help our anxiety? Well, I think prayer helps our anxiety because it helps us slow down and it forces us to turn our hearts and our minds to God and away from simply ourselves. And we see this even in what Paul says here in these verses. Keep on looking with me. Notice how Paul says to pray about what? Everything. (laughs) I don't know why I said what as if you're going to respond to me as I'm talking to my phone in my den. But, you know, Paul says to pray about everything that worries us. Pray about everything. This means this, and I heard this in a breakout session at a conference I went to not long ago. I love the way the guy said it. I can't remember his name or I'd give him credit for it. But um, the guy said, based on these verses, he says this, our prayers should be real and regular. That our prayers should be real and regular. That in our prayer life, we don't have to always be using fancy language turning into King James himself and the these and the thous, that that's not how we are called to pray. God wants us to be real with him where we're at. We talked about that in our Zoom hangout a couple weeks ago, but God wants us to come to him and be real and honest in in prayer. The Bible's full of that. The Psalms are nothing but real and raw, honest prayer. We should be real, but also our prayers should be regular, that we should make prayer a rhythm, not a last resort. I know in my life, Sometimes it's so easy for me to only really get serious about prayer. I may pray, you know, kind of a regular kind of simple prayer, but I don't really get real desperate in prayer until I feel like I need it, right? And that is totally not the way to view prayer. It's not a last resort, but prayer is the work that God uses to, to change our hearts and to do work in the world. And we pray to God, like we said before, not as a system, but as a real person that we're having a real conversation with, all right? So our prayers should be real and regular. Let me give you a few verses to think about with this um, as it leads us to our next thought. I love some of these verses on this. Consider 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Peter says this, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, get this, casting all your anxieties, your worries, on Him because He cares for you. That... There's a direct correlation correlation between how much we believe God cares for us and how much we're going to pray, right? That we cast all our anxieties on Him because He cares for us. And even Peter's kind of quoting Psalm 55, 22 here, which says this. He says, cast your burden on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. I think that's powerful. Um, earlier today, I was reading a commentary um, on this passage, and I love this picture. This guy, Tony Morita, who's a pastor up in North Carolina, he used this illustration of bowling. You ever gone bowling with somebody sometime, and they go to bowl, and they get you know, up to the lane, and they kind of go, and they let the ball go, and then you know they do all these weird motions to try to get the ball to go where they want it to? You know, They kind of lean to the left, or they lean to the right, or they do like some, some weird kind of squiggle you know, to kind of get the ball to go wherever they want. Well, we know that that doesn't do any difference, right? It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't matter how much I dance you know, at the end of the bowling alley to get the ball to go left or to curve. It's not going to do it, right? Like Once you let the ball go, it's going to do whatever physics has set in motion for it to do, right? It doesn't matter you know, what happens. You just have to let the ball go and then let what's going to happen happen. You just have to let the ball go. And the same thing is true, Tony Morita would say, with our burdens and anxiety in prayer that we just have to let our burdens go. We can't give our anxiety and our worry to God in prayer and then keep worrying about it 
because that doesn't accomplish anything and it doesn't make any sense. That God cares for us. He's more than enough for us. God never worries about anything. God's never losing sleep over anything. He's not up there in his divine bed, you know, tossing and turning, worrying about how he's going to make things post-coronavirus work out. But God is not worried about it. God is in control. So as we give our anxieties and worries to God, just let it go. Uh, Let it go. Trust him, you know, and have access to the peace that only comes from casting our anxieties on him. Now, I get that's easier said than done. I get that it's a process. We'll talk about that. But that's what the scriptures are calling us to, is to cast our anxieties on him and let it go and let God worry about it, right? Because he's in control. Notice also in these verses how Paul talks about our prayers, including supplication and thanksgiving. And we'll talk more about that in a minute, but I just want to point out those two things because we'll come back to that later in our talk, all right? Um, But one more thing here we see, or a few more things. You know, notice this. What is God's answer to our prayer, according to Paul, in these verses? The answer is, like we've already said, his peace. His peace. The result of our prayers is peace. And what is that peace? That peace is God's confidence and God's reassuring presence in the midst of whatever's going on in life. Remember, like we talked about last week in John 14, that peace is not the absence of conflict, that peace is not the absence of trouble, but biblically, peace is a wholeness. Peace is a stability that we have in the midst of our problems. It's a foundation and an anchor that sustains us. It's a wholeness. It's not, you know, it's not us falling apart, but being at a be held together and be whole in the midst of whatever's going on. That's biblical peace. It's that confidence. And the benefit of prayer is whether God answers our prayer in the way we want Him to or not, that God always promises to give us His peace. God doesn't always promise to give us what we pray about, but He always promises His peace. Praying and trusting God also doesn't mean that we're never going to have any problems. The Bible makes that really clear that, you know, the Christian life is going to be full of struggles because we're living in a place that's not our home. So praying doesn't mean our problems are just going to go away, but it does mean that we can always have peace. Notice how Paul says, this peace will guard and watch over you. You know, Paul is using the image of like a Roman guard. He's in prison in Philippians. He's writing the letter to the Philippians uh, from prison. So he's probably got a Roman guard at his door. He's probably writing this and looking and maybe being like, you know what, like the peace of God is like that Roman guard. He's guarding this door, keeping anyone who's not supposed to be in here from getting in here. And in the same way, you know, God's peace is like a guard that watches over our hearts and minds. And through prayer, God's peace can guard our hearts and minds and run off any anxious thoughts and fears that come our way. But this is an active process. This, this is not a one-and-done thing. That's why our, our prayers have to be real and regular. All right, And part of that process is reminding ourselves of what is true and what God has promised. We have to preach these things to ourselves. Just consider a couple of other promises that Paul mentions in this chapter in Philippians 4. In verse 5, Paul, pro, Paul reminds us of the promise that the Lord is always near to us. In verse 19, Paul reminds us of the promise that our God will supply every need, not want, but every need that we have according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And then also this is connected to even to what we think about. Like if you look at the verses right after verse 7 here, verses 8 through 9, Paul says this. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, 
Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So prayer is even a weapon for us to lead our minds toward the right things, to be thinking about the right things and guarding our minds from giving in to anxiety and to fear, that even prayer shepherds our thoughts toward God and away from worry and anxiety. And we can let the bowling ball go and let God worry about it and take the burden off of us because God cares about us. He cares about what's going on. All right. And like Paul says here, this peace that God gives, it goes beyond our understanding, All right? which is another way to say that the peace that God gives is a peace that honestly doesn't make any sense. Like from a worldly, our perspective, the peace we can have in the midst of craziness and trouble can be a peace that we can't really explain except for God. And it's a peace that doesn't make sense. You know, it doesn't make sense for us as Christians to be able to have peace in a world right now that seems to be falling apart. But yet, that peace is accessible through prayer. It's possible. And that kind of peace is honestly, it's a powerful witness to the world. That as we draw near to God in prayer, as we let Him minister to our hearts and give us peace and help us and sustain us through these times, man, that's a powerful witness to other people who don't know God. And that's a way for us to be able to, to, be able to share the hope of the gospel in a way that maybe normally we couldn't share before. So our ability to be a non-anxious presence in a very anxious world right now is a tremendous platform and opportunity for us to be a witness for the gospel and for God to draw people to him and save people in the midst of this going on. So don't don't downplay not only the importance of having peace for your own life, but also for God to use peace through prayer as a way to be a witness to other people, for them to also come to know Jesus. Okay? So that's the first thing I want us to see in Philippians 4, to be reminded of the connection between peace and prayer. That's a big thing that we need to be reminded of right now. But as we kind of begin to close out this series, um, I want to remind you about a few other things, or not remind you, uh, teach you about a few other things in prayer. And Paul kind of mentioned these earlier, but I want to kind of unpack them a little bit more. I want to talk about three other kinds of prayer that are really important and really they've been very vital in my own life over the years. Three different kinds of prayer. I don't have like a screen or like notes. I almost got like a whiteboard <laughs> to write on. I'll, actually, I almost put our TV on this mantle here, but it wasn't working out right. So, um, but, so just listen and write it down wherever you're at. But three different kinds of prayer. The first kind of prayer is this. It's axe prayer. Not axe like throwing axes, which is a weird hobby thing people are doing now, but not throwing axes. A-C-T-S. A-C-T-S prayer. If you've been in church long for very long, you know where I'm going with this, but this is a very helpful thing. Acts prayer. What I mean by that? Well, Acts prayer, A-C-T-S prayer, is a great model that people have used in the church and in Christianity for a long time as a guide for everyday prayer. Like, you know, you're, you're up in the morning, you're drinking your coffee, which I've been drinking way more of recently because I have a tiny child at our house so we never sleep much. So, you know, you're drinking your coffee, you got your Bible, and you're going to pray what do you do? You know, where do you start? Well, Acts, A-C-T-S, is a great model for prayer. And those four letters, I almost said three, those four letters stand for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And those are things, some of which Paul mentioned in his uh, letter in Philippians 4, which is some of it where it comes from. 
But also these are things that we see kind of all throughout the Bible in terms of prayer. So let me just give you this Acts prayer as a, as a model and a potential guide for how to pray. So if you're looking for a way, you're like, Kyle, I really want to get more consistent in prayer, but I'm not sure what to say. I'm not sure what to pray, where to start. Acts is the way to go, A-C-T-S. Okay, here's what I mean by this. Adoration. When you begin praying, every time you pray, especially in your more consistent kind of sit down in the morning, evening, whenever your prayer time is, how about you begin with adoration of God? What I mean by adoration, I mean to just adore God and to praise Him. Consider the way that Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer. He starts the Lord's Prayer saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That Jesus himself starts with adoration and praise of God the Father when he begins his model, his example prayer. So for us, it's a great way. It's not always necessary, but it's a great thing to start our prayers simply praising God for who he is. So as you pray, maybe start with just praising God, thanking him for who he is. You know, um, whatever maybe even as maybe recently come to your mind about the character of God, praise him for that. You know, just love him through your conversation with him. You know, adore him. And really over time, you can even incorporate different scriptures into this to praise him in different ways. And we'll talk more about that in a minute and bringing scripture into this. Um, but starting with adoration is a very healthy way for us to begin our prayers because starting with adoring God centers our hearts not on ourselves and our own needs, but instead, it centers us on God. Because how easy is it for us to pray and begin with God? I'm really worried right now. And God, I mean, I, I need you to help me make an A on this test because it's, it's online and I hate online classes. Or, or God, I'm really worried about money. You know, And those are all great things to pray for. And honestly, sometimes you need to just come to God with what's on your heart. If it's really weighing you down and that's all you can really think about, go to God with that. Don't feel like you have to always start with adoration. But in a, as a regular rhythm, it's really healthy for us to start with adoration because it gets us off of ourselves and onto who God is. Consider even Isaiah 6, you know, Isaiah's encounter with God that really leads him to be commissioned down as a prophet. Isaiah's life-changing experience with God, it begins with adoration of God encountering his glory, that he sees in a vision the glory of the Lord with his robe filling the temple, the train of his robe filling the temple. And that adoration, that encounter of God's glory, it begins his life-changing experience, and then he moves into other parts of, of conversation with God in that experience, like confession of sin, things like that. But it begins with adoration. So as you pray, consider spending a few minutes, seconds even, you know, a few sentences, adoring God, praising him for who he is. I think it's very healthy. So that's the A. The C is confession. I think it's very healthy for us in our prayer life to have regular times where we confess our sin, that we confess our weakness, that we confess our need for God. I think it's really good for us because number one, it reminds us of our need for God, our need for salvation, our need for forgiveness, but also it, it keeps us humble. It keeps us in a, um, a posture of humility and a posture of you know need and not, in a, and not just in a posture of asking stuff from God. But here's the thing we got to be careful about, and I struggled with this for a long time. So we got to remember that confession prayer and confessing prayer, it is not something we have to do to maintain a, a right relationship with God. Um, before I was a Christian, when I was in my early uh, teenage years, I had this idea in my mind that I somehow got from church to where if every time I did something that I thought was sin, if I just voiced a prayer kind of quickly in my head, hey, God, forgive me for that, then that would make that would make it go away, that God would forgive me, that I would be clean, that it would be good to go. you know. And I had this idea of 
had to keep doing that all throughout the day. So what does that end up being? It means that all throughout the day in my head, I'm like, God, forgive me for that. God, forgive me for that. God, you know, and it just, it's this never ending thing. And I, I don't know where I got that idea from, but it was a really distorted view of God in my own heart. Because number one, that, that doesn't work because, I mean, on our own, we're going to keep sinning over and over again. We're never going to own up to everything and be able to earn God's standing through our own just, you know, hey, God, forgive me for this and forgive me for that. It's only in what Christ has done. But also, you may forget stuff. You know, you may forget to ask God to forgive you for something, so then you're, you're done then. So that's a really unhealthy way to think about it. So confession prayer is not for us to have a right standing with God. Only way we can be right with God, only way we can be forgiven of our sins that we're confessing is through Christ. It's through repenting and believing the gospel, right? No, no amount of confession that we can do is going to earn our salvation, right? It's not, it's not even earning us more favor with God. But instead, it's only through the finished work of Jesus. There's nothing we can do to lose our standing with God. We say it all the time at ABC that there's no amount of good you can ever do to get God to love you more. There's no amount of bad things that you've ever done that can make God love you less. But it's fixed in Christ. Right? The gospel teaches us this. So confession in prayer doesn't make us more righteous, doesn't you know, convince God to forgive us. It's only through the gospel. But... Confession is a very healthy part of our prayer life. And I think it's very biblical. Let me just show you um, really two examples of this in the Bible. Uh, the first one is Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5. This is David praying. He says this, Psalm 32, 3 through 5, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand, your being God, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. As by the heat of summer, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So here's the thing, and I realize I've gone way longer than I thought in this, so I'm sorry about that. We'll begin to wrap up here in a minute. But here's the thing. When we keep silent and we don't confess sin that we know we need to, like David says here, it wears on our hearts and it makes us spiritually weak. That it, that it really it causes a, a distance and a hindrance between us and God. First Peter reminds of this. First Peter 3, 7 reminds us this way. He says, he's writing to the church there. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. He means weaker physically, for the most part. He's not saying they're weaker mentally or whatever. He says, showing honor to the woman, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What does he mean by that? It means that our obedience to God has an impact on how God hears our prayers. And if we don't confess our sin, in this case of being um, not loving to our wives, then it hinders our relationship with God. You know, when we live in disobedience, it can hinder that. And so think about it this way. Just like your relationship with your, your dad or maybe a parent, think about it this way. There's nothing you could ever do to make your dad or your mom not be your dad or mom, right? They're always going to be that person. You're always going to be their child. But there's a lot you can do to hinder that relationship, right? It's a lot you can do. And it's not until you go and maybe ask forgiveness from them for something you've done wrong that that relationship is going to be restored. So in the same way, we need to have regular times of confession of sin with God, you know, not to make sure that we're saved and be still good with God, but to have a healthy relationship with Him. It's really important. It's very good for our spiritual lives. So we need to have regular times of thinking through, God, I need, I need to confess this to you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. God, I need to confess this to you. Please, Even asking God sometimes to remind you of your own sin that you maybe need to confess. That's good to allow God to search your heart. 
So that's the C. I'll go quick with the T and the S, okay? Uh, Thanksgiving is the next one. And Thanksgiving is simple. You know, after you've adored God, after you've confessed your sin, consider spending time just thanking Him for what He's given you, praising Him for what you have. You can even list it out, maybe journal it. You know, because Thanksgiving, it fights anxiety, jealousy, and fear. Thanksgiving is good for our hearts. So take time to thank God. And then fourthly, the S is supplication. To supplicate is to simply ask God for things in certain situations. We spent a whole night talking about that a few weeks ago, so you can go back and listen to that talk. But that's a good and healthy part of prayer life as well. But sadly for us, many times our prayers look more like, you know, like a scat, S-C-A-T, where we supplicate first and maybe we get to confession and maybe we have a brief moment. We maybe praise God and thank Him for something and our prayers are upside down. Instead of beginning with God and His glory, we get it backwards. And so I think the ACTS, the Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, is very healthy and helpful for us. So that's the first one. Very quickly, I'll go through the other ones. I'm sorry, y'all. This is a different environment for me. I don't have a timer like I normally do, so I've gone way longer. <laughs> sorry about that. Um, but two more kinds of prayer, real quick. They'd be way shorter, I promise. The second kind is praying the gospel. So one model for prayer is to pray the Acts, the ACTS. Another way to think about prayer is to simply pray the gospel. We talk about it all the time at ABC, how the gospel, we can break it down as God, man, Christ response. You know, God being good and glorious and perfect creator, man being sinful and broken and and deserving of God's punishment, Christ coming to be the Savior who came and lived a perfect life, died in our place, was raised on the third day, who had became our substitution for the punishment that we deserved. And then we respond with repenting and believing. That's the gospel. That was really quick. You know, but you can even use the gospel as a prayer guide if you're looking for another way to pray. That you can begin your prayers just talking to God about who He is, praising Him. You know, that's kind of adoration there again. But then you can begin to move into time of, you know, confessing your sin and admitting your need for His salvation, admitting your utter dependence on Him. And then thirdly, you go into Christ. You pray and just thank God for salvation. Thank Him for the salvation He's provided in Jesus. And then fourthly, response, well, if you're a Christian, you've already repented and believed, but you can take time to even, you know, confess sin and just yet again kind of remind yourself and, and praise God for the gospel. Take time to pray for lost friends that don't know Christ. That would even be a good place to, to supplicate, you know, and to pray for other things going on. But even kind of following that kind of gospel flow in your prayer life can also be very helpful, especially if your heart feels kind of cold to the Lord and you really need like a, a jump start. It's great. That's the second one. And third one, and we'll be done And we'll do some Zoom hangout if you're uh, free and available. The third one is this. It's praying Scripture. Okay, the first one was Acts prayer. Second, pray the gospel. Third one is pray Scripture. What I mean by that, what's really simple, the best way to understand this is you should go and read a really short but great book called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. It's really short. Um, it's, you can probably get it on ebook for pretty cheap too, but Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney. But his recommendation in prayer is when you don't know what to pray, when you don't have the words to say, that rhymed song right there, okay? But if we don't know what to pray, pray God's word back to Him. And he gives two big recommendations in the book that I think are great. The first is to pray the Psalms. Like If you're looking for some way to pray, open up a Psalm and just go line by line, read the line, and then pray whatever that line brings to mind back to God. If it's, a, if it's a line in the psalm about God's glory, just praise God for His glory. If it's a line in the psalm about feeling you know, isolated and you know, feeling lonely, pray, confess that if you feel that to God. If, it, if, it's a psalm, if it's a line about your need for forgiveness, then use that as a way to confess. If it's a, it's a line talking about God's glory being manifest over the whole world, 
pray to him and, and ask for him to get the gospel to every tribe, every nation, every person that doesn't know the name of Jesus. But use Psalms as a guidebook for, for prayer. And if you're not sure what psalm to start on, in the book he gives a great example of using whatever day it is as a way uh, to find the psalm to begin with. So today is what, the 15th? So you could read Psalm 15 and use it as a guide to pray. And then here's the cool thing. There's 150 psalms, right? Divide that by 30, because there's 30 days in a month, and that gives you five psalms. So every day of the month, you could go through five different psalms, skim them, and find one you like and pray that. And that gives you every day of the month five different psalms to use to pray. So today you could pray Psalm 15, and then if you want to find the next one, it'd be Psalm 45, and add 30 to that, it'd be Psalm 75, so on and so forth. That gives you five different ones that you can skim through and find some fuel to pray. That's been super helpful for me. The second example of praying the Bible is praying Paul's prayers. Um, if we had time, I was going to read more of these out loud, but for sake of time, we won't. But Paul has some phenomenal prayers that can give us great examples of how we can pray for other people in the Bible. Let me just give them to you. You may want to jot these down or type them out. Uh, Ephesians 1, 17 through 19 is a great prayer of Paul. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 is a great prayer. Philippians 1, 9 through 11 is another great prayer. And then Colossians 1, 9 through 12 is the fourth one. I encourage you to look some of those psalms, some of those prayers up from Paul and see the things you can learn of the way he prays, the things he prioritizes in prayer. I think you may be surprised that his priorities in prayer are sometimes many different than ours. Okay, uh, so we're going to close with this and then we'll take some time to hang out on Zoom. I'm sorry I've gone a little bit longer tonight. But remember this, as we close out this series, remember that prayer is a discipline. There's a reason we call it a spiritual discipline. It's something that we have to grow in over time, that we have to discipline ourselves in. That, you know, even the best Christians struggle many times in prayer life. And it's something they have to kind of come back to and refine. But also remember that prayer is an opportunity. It's not an obligation. That prayer is a privilege. That we have the ear of God in prayer. It's an amazing thing. But don't be discouraged if you're struggling right now in this season of life in prayer. That's so normal, I think, for many people. But at the same time, in the midst of this crazy time, God is inviting us to a deeper experience of Him, a more intimate relationship with Him than maybe ever before, and a vital prayer life is going to be you know, a absolutely foundational thing for us to have that. Okay? So I want to pray for you guys, and then I'll cut this thing off, then I'll send out a message on Zoom uh, through Remind and GroupMe for the Zoom, and we can chat for a minute and hang out and do some discussion questions. Okay? Let me pray for y'all. Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We thank you for the blessing that we can have your ear. Well, that's amazing. I pray for these students that you would help them to see maybe more than they have even up until now. The absolute privilege and opportunity it is during this season to be able to go deep with you in prayer. And that you promise to provide peace through prayer, peace against their fears and worries and anxiety. And Lord, that you want them to draw near to you because you care for them. You want them to cast your, um, their cares, their anxiety on you. So I pray, Lord, that uh, they would use some of these tools, um, things like the Acts model, praying the gospel, praying scripture, as ways to kind of help jumpstart their prayer life. And I pray, Lord, that they would see such growth and victory in their prayer life, and you would use that to transform them more and more into the image of Christ and more and more to be a blessing to those around them, even today and this week. We love you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.